Hi everyone, Tyler here. Just wanted to give a quick update if you haven't heard yet about some awesome news coming to the show. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So you can search up the Hockey Podcast, that is the hockey, spelled H-A-W-K-E-Y, and Puckcast, spelled P-U-C-K-C-A-S-T. Once you're there, you will find all the episodes we have recorded so far, as well as brand new ones anytime they get uploaded. So if you'd rather listen on one of those platforms than where you're currently finding us, now you can. While there, be sure to give us a positive rating and review to help more people find our show. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the upcoming episode. Hello and welcome to this fifth episode of the Hockey Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I'm joined, as always, by my three co-hosts, Wally. The Hawks should stay out of the penalty box. Nick. Yeah, we're the most undisciplined team in hockey. And back, after unfortunately not being here for last week's episode, John. The tank for Bedard is still on, boys. And before we start, I want to mention a little bit of news about the show in general. Moving forward, the show is switching from being a once-a-week show to a twice to possibly even three times a week show. As you saw last week, we had our show and it was really long and it included an NHL recap section as well as a prospect report. And we had an interview with with an Oilers fan to discuss the preview for the Oilers game. That now is going to be three different shows. We're not always going to have a preview with a fan of a different team, but when we do, that show will be on Thursdays. This show you're watching right now, which is our NHL game recaps for the Hawks, as well as our NHL previews, will be on Tuesdays, and our prospects and Rockford reports are going to come out on Wednesdays. So you'll get at minimum two shows a week, Tuesday and Wednesday, most likely, and on Thursdays, you could potentially be getting a preview with a fan that we happen to know of a different uh, NHL team. Moving on from that to some news about the Blackhawks. Over the last week or so, we've had a couple of players come back from injuries, come close to injuries, and one very well-known player end up going out with an injury. So let's start with the player who has returned, and that is Boris Kachuk. Kachuk had himself a good return, making his return back to the Blackhawks lineup just a couple of games ago. And the game against the Minnesota Wild, we saw probably his best performance in a Blackhawk uniform since getting traded to us from Tampa Bay, where he laid, I believe it was Frederick Goudreau, almost wanting to throw him three rows back into the stands. It was a, He had himself a seller game in his return this week. However, one of the bigger injuries that happened and kind of came as a bit of a shocker about just a couple hours before the game on Sunday, it was announced that Seth Jones was going to miss three to four weeks randomly out of nowhere because he blocked a shot wrong in the game against Buffalo. And I think he finished that game and then they didn't realize it until later. And oh, he's out for three to four weeks because he has a thumb injury. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that he was able to finish that game. What was it, a broken thumb? I mean, that's kind of crazy that he was able to finish the game with that, so. It sucks for Jones because he's actually had himself a solid start to the season, and with him being out, now with Tyler Johnson also being out, those are two key players on the Blackhawks starting lineup that are out, with Jones missing at least 
three weeks at max probably four this could be a big loss because he's a minute muncher as we talked about it in our last podcast and then along with that we have a couple more uh players who have been injured for a bit but might be nearing their returns wally what's going on with ian mitchell yeah so ben pope reported today that Ian Mitchell isn't really close. I believe he just started to skate. It's been uh, five weeks since the initial injury news dropped, and he was supposed to be out for six weeks. So I believe on Thursday is when it will be six weeks, this coming Thursday. Um, And it doesn't sound like he's going to be back uh, during that six-week time. So it'll be interesting to see when he comes back. Yeah, and um, along with that, another player who got hurt and – It seems like there's kind of been a little bit of a trickle-down effect because, you know, there aren't a ton of goalies in the organization. But Peter Mrazek was hurt last week, and I think he just started skating again uh, today. So it looks like he might be returning soon. But in the meantime, we've had some good moments and some bad moments. Mostly good from Soderblom. Staylock is... We'll get to we'll get to Staylock later, but I'll just say that it seems like the only goals he allows are ones that he definitely shouldn't allow. And then the saves are the ones that are... Once he shouldn't save. <laughs> Once he shouldn't save. He's, just, he's, he's so chaotic. But if we get Morazic back soon, that might impact, you know, Staylock's position in the team. I th- feel like it feels like the team and specifically the, you know, the organization and the coaching staff seems to have trust in him. I think that, you know, he, you could say that he plays decent at times but the one thing you can't have is trust in him ever because i don't i you never know what he's gonna do i mean today like he took like the puck from the crease and then like went around to the behind the net and then shot it like like he shot it down the ice like he's just completely and utterly insane it's almost like he thinks he's marty turco (laughs) (laughs) he must have launched a lot of marty turco when he was with the blackhawks Oh my god. Does anyone remember that game? It was like 2011, that year Marty Turco played for the Hawks. We were in Dallas, and Turco went all the way to the right, way beyond the net, and then he tried to like throw a pass like all the way forward, but it got intercepted, and he was way out of his net when it scored against him. And it was like in a game we lost like 5 nothing against the Stars, which of course were his team. Yes, I remember it perfectly. I do not remember that. Do you remember when Marty Turco opened the door when uh, Roman Polak was leaning up against it and Roman Polak fell into the doorway? That was funny. That was probably Marty Turco's highlight of being a Chicago Blackhawk. There was nothing really all that good about Marty Turco as a Chicago Blackhawk. Anyways, let's get into these game recaps. The first one, the Hawks played against Edmonton, and this was easily the most insane game that we've had so far this year, and no doubt the most insane period of hockey I've probably ever watched. A couple of notes before this. This was the first game after Tyler Johnson left the, uh, left the lineup. So they ended up moving up Jujar Kara to the second line, which was kind of weird. And it'll it'll make even less sense as we go on later on in the show. And then Reese Johnson ended up replacing him on the fourth line. It seemed like a thing where he was only going to join the lineup for one night, but that would change a little bit later. And you know what? We're playing against the Oilers. What a surprise. Connor McDavid makes a fantastic play and Zach Hyman scores. Yeah, this was a defensive letdown by the Hawks here. But whenever you're up against Connor McDavid, the greatest player in the world, it's going to be that way, especially the way he had it all night. 
that game against the Oilers. Puck's defense kind of fell apart on it and it led to the goal against for Hyman to kind of get up on the slot area and basically beat Daylock to give it a 1-0 lead for the Oilers. Yeah, but you know, it wasn't much longer after that when the Hawks got a goal back. Andreas FDCU gets on the board for your Chicago Blackhawks here to tie the game up by basically uh, stick-handling Jack uh, Campbell out of his uh, jock strap here, and the Hawks get on the board. It's 1-1, and we seem to get them off the skull by uh, Andreas FDCU from a great pass from Max Domi. Yeah, and I think with FDCU, you know, We'll talk about it a little bit later as well, but you know, there's always moments where you think that it's gonna come and like he's gonna get it and he's gonna figure it out. All these moments of and these flashes of greatness, but it never seems to result in anything. Well, I've had a couple times this last week where it resulted in things, and that was one right there. It was a nice setup for the Hawks here on this goal, and after the CU has honestly started to get the Max Domi after the CU cane line kind of rolling now it seems like they've built the commi- some chemistry and it seems like each and every one of those players on that line has been working well and now it seems like it can generate some momentum even though we've learned from a game later on it doesn't really last yeah but keeping it with this game um first game of the season for one of these players and he gets his first goal and it's Reese Johnson who I mentioned earlier and this goal alone kept him in the lineup for the rest of the week yeah this goal alone was the probably the most insane goal we see this year because how it went in no one knew who scored it until much later on it just was chaos up front of the net and the Hawks take a lead and it took a while for them to determine who actually scored. Reese Johnson getting tallied for the goal. Yeah, and it's kind of the same thing that we've seen the entire season for the Hawks this year. They want to score goals off fire drills in front of the net. They want to create chaos, get rebounds in front of the net, and just push the puck into the goal in whatever way they need to. It's something we haven't seen in a while until uh, Luke Richardson took over because Jeremy Colleton's system... The Hawks never crash the net. This Hawks team loves crashing the net. It's also worth noting that Colin Blackwell kind of created the whole chance. He had a great zone entry. Um, he drove behind the net, passed it off to Caleb Jones. He shot it, and then Reese Johnson got the rebound and put it in. So it's great to see that type of work ethic on this team because I feel like we haven't seen that um, very consistently the past few years. And I'll probably be following this the rest of the season as well. We're nine games into this season, and at this point right now, Hawks are still yet to be out hit. Yeah, it's something to keep a note on. This team is a heavy-hitting team, and they love to show it. And we will talk more about them being heavy hitters as we move into the second period, which, um... Yeah, the most undisciplined team in hockey. This second period of play was a complete crap show on ice for your Chicago Blackhawks and the Edmonton Oilers. We saw a total of 14 penalties in the second period alone, that's something you should not be seeing in a hockey game at all. 
but you see 14 penalties taken in the second period, and we see some quite a bit of special team goals coming off it. Yeah, there were 14 penalties in that second period. It was absolutely ridiculous. I I believe there were multiple five-on-threes. There were multiple four-on-three power plays, multiple five-on-threes, multiple just... uh, Multiple power plays. The Hawks and Oilers in the second period of play played only five minutes of even strength hockey. Yeah, it was absolutely insane. But before all the penalties happened... The first goal of the second period was actually an even-strength goal because the Hawks go into the second period up 2-1, and just 18 seconds in, Connor McDavid. Because he's the best player ever. Yeah, this McDavid goal basically put he puts on his speed, kind of dekes through, and gets the Oilers on the board, and this is not their film getting on the goal sheet right now. Yeah, absolutely. And the next goal, it wasn't much uh, soon after, you know, after the first penalty of the second period. Jack Campbell has a puck over glass penalty, and they send Connor McDavid to serve a penalty. And the Hawks get a goal because Jonathan Taze. Hazer's getting those goals up front of the net this year and it's another it's a tip in by taser up front by redirecting a max domi shot and kane gets an assist on it this goal by taser he's off to a stellar start to the season and he starts this game off getting a power play goal and we see quite a bit of power play action in this period as we mentioned Name a better duo than uh, Patrick Kane and secondary assist this year. (laughs) That has happened quite a bit. Right after that, Hawks are up 3-2. And then instantly afterwards, you know, it takes a bit of time because, you know, we have a ton of power plays and over, but it's about like seven minutes of game time later where the Oilers do score a game-tying goal, and it's Connor McDavid because when isn't it Connor McDavid? Definitely not this game. (laughs) It was not this game. The game before, yeah, it was that game. Uh, the Oilers were playing St. Louis. He didn't record a point. Then he comes into Chicago, knocking a second of the night, and it's a classic Connor McDavid showing. Yeah. But with that, the next thing that we have is a very controversial moment in this game. Because at this time, and this is one of the few moments in this game where the Hawks and Oilers are at like even strength. The Oilers score a goal, but it is ruled out for goalie interference. And then the Oilers challenge, and they lose the challenge. Yep. Because um, Vander Kane did his best impression of a, of a soccer player. He completely flopped on Alex Stalock. He fell he, f- he fell on him. And, I mean, Stalock definitely had enough time to get back up. And he did try and get back up and play his position. But he had he didn't have a stick when he got back up. Do you guys think that that was goalie interference? Or do you guys think that probably shouldn't have been goalie interference? I would say it was goalie interference, which they ended up determining it was goalie interference. The way it was all set up, it was... Daylock, yes, got back up to play, but the fact that he was still missing part of his equipment by Evander King getting down, laying on him for about five seconds, it led to chaos, and then Daylock still somewhat out of position in a way. Yeah. I think with that, you don't want to punish goalies for trying to play their position. So just because Stalock got up and worked to get back and try doesn't change the fact that he was personally shorthanded in that situation. Yeah, he was definitely shorthanded. But Evander Kane does not get on the board here, and we go to the power play with the challenge failure 
from the Oilers. What we also have in this moment is Vander Kane barking at the refs. So he gets teed up for a two-minute minor, and now the Hawks head to a five-on-three because of a player yelling at a ref and because of an unsuccessful challenge. One of the weirdest five-on-threes you'll ever get. There's so much with this game. It's so many penalties. Yeah. And then on the two-man advantage, you know, the Hawks get the fourth goal of a very insane second period, and it's Max Domi. A very good assist from Radish, and now the Hawks are up four to three somehow. Domi having himself a secretly uh, quiet but very good game for himself against these Oilers, getting on the board off a two-man advantage power play. Good to see Hawks up 4-3. Increases his trade value. Yeah, no, Max Max Domi, despite having a very, very bad first, like, two or three games this season, has really turned it around, and especially on the power play, he's working well, and it's kind of carried over into his even strength play, where that top line is really starting to develop some chemistry, and that we really didn't see before. Yeah, we were first saying it was one of the worst lines on the Blackhawks, and now they've had chemistry. Yeah, and who said they need time, they needed time to find chemistry? Me. We will let you take the W on this one. Exactly. But then we have uh, we have a common, um, a very common occurrence for the Blackhawks is giving up goals really quickly after they score goals or intermission breaks. Uh, this time it was another goal very quickly after the intermission break because at the end of this, at the beginning of the second, they gave a goal eighteen seconds into the second. And at the beginning of the third, they give a goal twenty four seconds into the third period, and it's Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, off the power play, Nugent Hopkins gets down onto the slot, beats Stalock cleanly, and we're tied up. It's 4-4. Yeah, and about halfway through the third period, Hattrick McDavid. It's a crazy goal. I mean, he just deeped around McCabe and just went five-hole on Stalock. It was it was crazy. Um, do, do, do you all know a way if I could donate my ankles to McCabe? Because he might have lost them. I think you will need to save them for whoever Athanasius ended the life of. I think you'll need to save those for Matt Dumba. But then, you know, really good way for the Hawks to try and pull themselves back in this game. And Kaner ties it up. School seemed like we could have been in for a good uh, potential point on the night, but... Kaner, with this goal from Jake McCabe, he gets a rebound. Kane snipes it past Jack Campbell. We're tied 5-5. It looks like we could spark momentum, but it doesn't last long. Yeah, looks like the Hawks are going to head into the overtime. But, you know, with about less than a minute to go, Leon Dreisaitl scores. I believe it was off a rush chance. Yeah. Over the puck and the defensive zone. He basically gave it right away to Yamamoto. He wasn't put in a good position, but I think he could have done better than what he did. Uh, Yamamoto took it away, gave it to Evander Kane, who passed it to Dreisaitl, who uh, sniped it home with only 38 seconds left. So not not great. Teaser probably should have played the puck off the glass and get it out of the zone, but went towards the middle. Yamamoto. Gets it, gets it over to Evander Kane, who gets it to Dreisaitl, and we lose this one six five. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, you know. I know that, you know, some there's some fans out there who genuinely are okay, or not only okay, but are enjoying when we lose. But when you lose a game like that, it really is frustrating. 
and difficult because they fought really well the entire night. And for them to see them come back and take the leads and lose the leads and then take them again and get back in this game and then to lose it on a goal with not even a minute left in the in regulation, really difficult to see. It's a backbreaker. Then we see it occur in our next game. The next game, which was a couple nights later, was an away game. We went to Buffalo, and there were a couple of lineup changes um, before the game. Uh, the first one was that Nujar Kara got scratched after playing on the second line the previous night. Clearly, they saw something, and they were like, we need to make change right now. So they moved Khrushchev up to that line, then they moved Blackwell up to the third line, and they kept Reese Johnson in as Boris Kachuk came in the lineup. We mentioned that earlier. This was Boris Kachuk's first game. Something else that's really good. This was the first game of the season for Arvid Soderblom. He got his first start of the season, and, you know, for the first, like, couple periods, he was really given no help at all. Absolutely zero help, and he was really hung out to dry the entire night, which it's good to see him stand on his head and perform well, despite the fact that the team behind him isn't giving him any help because last year when the team wasn't giving him any help he didn't perform the best in the nhl but now he's able to carry the performance behind a garbage performance yeah this is nothing new for garbage Soderboom. ever since he got here he's been left out to dry by the ice hawks and the Blackhawks. Mm, absolutely and the hawks started out the first period absolutely horribly I believe there was one point where the shot totals were either like 10 to nothing or 11 to 1. 10 to nothing, uh, first five minutes of play. Yeah, first five minutes of play, the shot totals were 10 to nothing. And the Hawks, they took a penalty. The, the Hawks ended up on a penalty kill. And Victor Olofsson scored a goal, which then was ruled out because of an offsides that actually happened 15 seconds earlier. So then they reset the clock, and he scores another power play goal, which is actually credited as being earlier than the previous one would have been, which is one of the weirdest things. I think that that, to me, kind of shows that maybe that offsides review situation really shouldn't have been a thing that really happens. I don't necessarily know if I agree with it being the case that if it's 15 seconds after the so-called offsides occurred, can you really necessarily say that the goal shouldn't happen or the goal should not be counted? I mean, if it's the zone entry that led up to the goal, I think I get what you're saying. But also, if that zone entry didn't happen, the goal probably wouldn't have happened. So that's that's my opinion, but I also get where you're coming from as well. Uh, I get it. For me, I only think that we should be removing goals for offsides if it like is a situation where the offsides completely directly leads to the goal happening. And it's not like a situation where there was an offside and then a goal occurred afterwards. No, like the offsides needed to be a major reason why that goal occurred. I guess at that point, it just kind of gets subjective. Like, like what counts as a major, like, what counts as, like, being a major impact on the goal, you know? I would say that any any goal that occurs, like, anywhere between, like, anything, like, if it's 10 seconds after the zone entry, then you can say that there was a direct impact. But afterwards, then you're just getting into a point where it's just, you're just, it's just offensive zone time that exists at that point. No, I guess that's fair. I mean, I mean, I guess the Hawks kind of got what was inevitable, so... It didn't really matter that much. Yeah, sure, I guess. I mean, but then, you know, getting in towards the end of the first period, you know, Hawks get a couple chances. They end up on the power play. And after a really greasy goal because of a calamity in front of the net, the Hawks get a power play goal from Jason Dickinson. And yes, I just said a power play goal from Jason Dickinson. Vancouver, you screwed up. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you, Vancouver. I hope you enjoy your Riley Stillman. We get a second round pick too. Yay! It's going to be so chills when we trade him for a first round pick this year. This was an interesting goal because we really had no clue who scored it. They first said it was McKenzie and Whistle. Then they said it was Andreas at the CU scoring. And then they went ahead and gave it to Dickinson who caused the chaos up front of the net. The Sabres challenged it. They failed. Hawks go back to the power play. Yeah, go back to the power play. Nothing leads from that. And we end the first period and the score is 1-1. But, you know, we start second period. It's another greasy goal. And this time, Sam Lafferty. Craig Anderson was sprawling behind. Laffy finds a puck, takes a whack at it. And then it goes off of Craig Anderson's backside into the net. It was another get up from the net, get to the crease, and just put it in the net. That's how it goes for the Hawks right now. And get those greasy goals going. And Laffy gets on the board with his, uh, I believe that's now his third of the season. Yeah, at this point, I believe, yeah, that was his third of the season. And not too long later, another guy, second line, this new look second line with Tyler Johnson gone, but, you know, Philip Kurashev up there, Taylor Radish scores. And it's a very, very smart play there from Philip Kurashev to throw the puck in front of the net and just let a rebound occur. And hey, that's what Radish did. He buried the rebound. Yeah, the Swiss Army knife of Philip Kurashev getting those pucks to the net for the Hawks to go up 3-1 by Radish to go into the crease. And it's all uh, all goals go to the crease. It works for the Hawks right now. It feels like Taylor Radish has been very good since coming here. And he's still relatively young at 24 years old. So I feel like if he continues his play, he'll be a part of the future unless you get like a crazy offer for him like you got for Hagel or we got for Hagel. He's definitely better than Hagel at this point on the season. That feels so weird to say. Actually, he is on a four-game point streak where he has six points. This podcast does not condone Brandon Hagel's slander. I wasn't slandering him. I was just saying that Taylor Adams was doing very good. I wasn't saying you were slandering him. I'm just saying for, for, for future information, this podcast does not condone Brandon Hagel's slander. Okay, 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 okay. Oh, so before we, before we, uh, we slandered him? Before you get the chance to do it, I'm just saying don't play with my heart. So the Hawks are leading this game 3-1 to one at the end of the second period. However, they're being outshot 31-23. to 23. Yeah, it's never good sign to be outshot the way they are, but they were actually pretty solid in the second period, so it helped them, but we go to the third period, and that third period, momentum, Buffalo. Yeah, it wasn't great at all. However, they do start the third period with a power play, because... Uh, Buffalo took a too many men penalty with only four seconds left in the second. They can't capitalize on that. And then, you know, Buffalo with their random top line of Jeff Skinner, Tage Thompson, and Kyle Ocposo, that was like a fourth line two years ago, and now it's a genuinely good first line. They drag this team back into the game. First, Skinner finds Ocposo in the slot, and off a rebound, Tage Thompson absolutely bullies Seth Jones, who I believe at this moment in time had a broken thumb, which so I kind of understand it. But he, re- he bullies him in front of the net and gets a rebound goal uh, wrap around Soderblom's uh, pad. But yeah, Tage Thompson, this goal basically reminds me of how he sparked the Sabres against the Hawks last year, the two times the Hawks played them. So we don't, this isn't the last we hear of his name because... A fantastic pass across the net from Jeff Skinner and Tage Thompson bats out of midair and now it's a tie game and there was only like three minutes to go in the third period at this time. 
Yeah, it seemed like the Hawks were uh, basically trying to rag the puck to kill the clock all the way down to the final minute, and it basically did not work in their favor, and the Sabres took advantage of it, where Tage Thompson gets his second of the night, basically five minutes after he just scored to make it a one-goal game. At that point, you're like, oh, okay, the Hawks, you know, the Hawks were the comeback kids for a while, but now it seems like all they're doing is just blowing leads. And, oh, we're heading to overtime, but the problem is before overtime, Jonathan Tays, not great. Yeah, terrible penalty by Taser at the end of the third period. So we go to overtime, down a man. It was Taser's second game in the row where he made the pivotal mistake that cost the Hawks the game, which is weird. Yeah, but even though Taze has had a great start, it's just been a rough two games in a row for him on the final minutes of play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, the Hawks take it to overtime where they end up in a four-on-three penalty kill situation. And there isn't much you can do when you have Victor Olofsson sniping it from the power play. And Rasmus Dahlin finds him perfectly from the point. Victor Olofsson, one-timer, nothing Soderblom can do. He has a fantastic night. He only allows four goals on 45 shots. But in the end, Hawks lose. 4-3 in overtime. Yeah, Victor gets a second of the night, and we lose this one. Next game, the Hawks play is just one night later, but we're at home this time, and it's against Minnesota Wild. So, a couple changes. This was the first game the Hawks played without Seth Jones, and that means that Philip Bruce came back into the lineup, and with that, Jake McCain Ooh. and Jack Johnson became your top defensive pairing. It was a ton of minutes that had to be taken up by defensemen because now Seth Jones isn't there to play 28 a night. Yeah, and your top defense pair should never be the two names of Jake McCabe and Jack Johnson. I mean, they played well today, but we did not really want to see a top D pair of McCabe and Jack Johnson together. Maybe split that more up. Yeah, but speaking of McCabe, he had a very eventful uh, minute or so, about uh, six to seven minutes into the first period. Uh, first goal, I mean, McCabe had the shot, but for me, this is almost entirely on uh, based on what Sam Lafferty does here. Oh yeah, the play from Lafferty up to McCabe was a great pass by Lafferty up to McCabe for McCabe to absolutely put this on a laser pass Marc-Andre Fleury to give the Hawks the one goal lead and we don't hold that lead. Yeah, we don't hold that lead, but I also think that with what happened with Sam Lafferty there, the way he was driving the zone was also fantastic because, you know, he's just working it down the left wing, he's driving past the defense, and he works it all the way around the net before he slings it back to the point for that goal. That's what you want to see more from Sam Lafferty because you know he has a lot of talent despite being more of a bottom six profile. So, And seeing him keep up his scoring and keep on doing what he's been doing is fantastic to see. Yeah, Laffy has put in a lot of work, and it's paid off very well. Thank you, uh, Pittsburgh, for him. Because, what, is Alex Nylander playing in your AHL team? But, uh, yeah, Laffy has been great, and his work ethic has worked well under this Richardson system, and he's continuing to produce well for this team this season. 
But, you know, as we mentioned, it was only a couple seconds later when um, the next goal came, and it was because of a very weird play from Jake McCabe. He throws an open ice check. In the process, he drops his stick, and he tries to kick the puck out of the uh, out of the defensive zone, but it hits his own stick, which leads to a mini breakaway from Matt Bully. Yeah, uh, Ryan Hartman gains the puck off after the puck hit uh, McCabe's stick. And Boldy just catches uh, Daylock a little bit out of position. And it's tied up 20 seconds after the McKay Blazer. It sucks. <laughs> and it wasn't much longer after, about three minutes later, when the Hawks ended up falling behind once again this season. And this time, it was a goal that they gave up to Minnesota's fourth line. Yeah, and Mason Shaw scores his career first NHL goal. This one is definitely on Alex Staloff because Staloff, I don't know what you were thinking, pinching a little bit too hard to make a save, and it leads to a wide 6 by 4 wide open for Mason Shaw to score his career first NHL goal. I will say that I don't think uh, uh, Caleb Jones, Philip Bruce, and Colin Blackwell really helped him that much. They allowed a pretty easy entry, and then I think Caleb Jones lost the puck battle, and then I believe Philip Bruce was a step behind. I believe it was Sam Steele, and then Sam Steele got it to Mason Shaw, who Colin Blackwell should have been covering. So it was kind of a mess on all um, on all parties there, so... All of those things are fair when the goalie is inside his net. But when the goalie <laughs> yeah. isn't inside of his net, I don't care about any defensive missed assignments. The goalie isn't his net. No, that's definitely a problem. That is most definitely a problem. Is it just me, or does it feel like Alex Daylock is like Dominic Hasek, but he's except he's not good. He's just in, completely and utterly insane when he's in the net. I think that there's a lot of goalies who, you know, when it's not really, you know, it's not really playing like the way where, you know, they have tons of reflexes where they move across the net a lot of times with Staylock, it just seems like any sort of pressure and then all of his gear is just completely fl- flung across the ice he's just a complete yard sale it's ridiculous how it happens because he'll just be everywhere he will be everywhere and then you'll have a wide open net and you'll be like how is this happening it's not good but then you know the rest of the night he won't allow a another goal the only goals he'll allow are just gonna be like just those couple of goals that are really horrible but all the other opportunities he gets in, in the rest of the game you know they'll be fine he'll be fine most of the other night if you ignore the op goals that he totally should save he'd be like a perfect boy if you ignore the bad stuff he's actually really good crazy concept yeah except for the fact that the bad stuff just happens way too much but, you know, the Hawks at this point are down 2-1, and they stay down 2-1 for a little bit, and this includes time up until we get a fight here. No, uh, yes, yes. And it includes up until the time we get a fight, and this fight was between Jared Tenorti and one former Hawk, Ryan Hartman. And at the time when I first saw this fight, I was laughing at how it ended until I realized that Hartman was injured. Yeah, uh, when you put up a six foot six, two hundred something pound man versus a five eleven, one hundred like eighty five pound player, it's not going to work out so well. Especially to Ryan Hartman, a former Hawk, and still miss you, Hartsey. Uh, but uh, Hartsey looks to probably have 
um, let's just say, dislocated his shoulder, and Tenorti could tell, and he decided not to even throw a punch on Hartman. He just brought him down to the ice. Yeah, it kind of looked like he got squashed at that point, and Hartman ended up falling to the ice, and then it was over, and, you know, the pull, it just ended from there, and the whole fight ended. And then, you know, later on in that second period, the uh, the Hawks end up in a good opportunity. Great pass there from Philip Kurashev. And, you know, hey, it's another goal for Jonathan Taze, who is off to a fantastic start this season after a disastrous start to last season. Taze gets his fifth of the season by redirecting a pass former Blackhawk Marc-Andre Fleury from the Swiss Army knife then uh, Philip Kurashev. This goal by Taze is a good get-to-the-crease-in it will get in type of goal with this Chicago Blackhawks team. You could tell Taser had a little bit fun with it because you n- could tell Taze and Flurry were good friends when they were on the when Flower was still on the Hawks last year. And how Taze was able to get one past him, I think it made it a little bit of fun just having two f- former teammates kind of go after each other on it. And Taze with the team leading five goals on the season so far. He's off to a great start. It took him 48 games last season to even get his fifth goal on the season. Yeah. You're forgetting the most important part. Philip Roos got his first point on the season and his first NHL point. Yes. Yeah, the secondary assist on that goal was Philip Roos, and that was his first career point. And absolutely, congratulations to him for that. And hopefully it leads to even more great times for him because he wasn't in the lineup last couple of games. But now he's back, probably going to be back for a little bit because of that Seth Jones injury. And hopefully he makes the most of it because he had some ups, he had some downs, and that's kind of how it's been so far to start his NHL career. And hopefully there's more to come, though. Um, Wally keeps on winning with his narratives. He's taken all the dubs. Yeah. So we head into this third period. Game's tied 2-2. You can go any direction. And it looks like it's going to break the Hawks' way because of a absolutely fantastic goal by Andreas Athanasiu, who, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, he's just, he absolutely sent Matt Dumba to the Shadow Realm. Yeah, what's that meme about, uh, what's that classic meme gets, that guy needs some milk or something? Uh, yeah, Athanasiu needed to do that. <laughs> it basically, it did it on Dumba. He broke Dumba's ankles, and it was a beautiful highlight real goal. So, um, this goal is probably an early consideration for goal of the year, in my opinion. It's very, it was very, uh, Bobby Ryan when he was on the Ducks-esque goal, when he, like, walked around, like, I think it was, like, three defenders back in, like, 2010-ish. So that was fun to see. Best Hawks goal since Richard Panic's goal in, uh, 2016-2017 when he destroyed the Penguins. Oh, it was it was the one where he un- destroyed Malkin. Yeah, I that remember. one. And then he sniped it. Yeah, <laughs> there was that goal that Kane scored in the sh- in the 2021 season against Carolina, where he scored that uh, spinorama. The spinorama. I still like Ponics more. But 17 seconds later, unfortunately, 17 seconds because giving up goals very soon after they score game-leading goals, they give up the game-tying goal. And this time, I don't know what it is with Alex Stalock, but the net 
that Matt Bully had to shoot on with this goal had so much space. He had a wide open net. And that's the second time we've said that tonight. Because the only... Because, t- like, what's the point of having a goalie if a, if one fake pass creates a wide-open net? Yeah, uh, Stalock is better off on the bench and us having an empty net because that's how it, he already plays for the Hawks, it feels like. It's crazy. It's crazy with him. Terrible. Towards the end of the third period, you know, the Hawks have a situation where they maybe could have ended up on the power play because Joe ended up having a really bad hit against Kane where he ended up going headfirst into the boards. Kane ended up being all right, but Domi stepped in and ended up getting into a fight with Tyson Jost. And because he picked up the instigator, the Hawks and the uh, Wild ended up staying at five on five. And, you know, people were really talking about how that was a really great thing for Max Domi to do. I don't know how much I agree with that because that's our first line center who just got himself a game misconduct penalty and also at the same time arguably took away a power play from us. And we didn't have a power play this night at all. So I think that having an opportunity for us to get our power play out on the ice in a tie game was more important than standing up for your teammate, quote-unquote. And if you notice, uh, when Kane skated to the bench after the fight happened uh it they zoomed in on kane he basically even said i tried to hold max back and because we would go on to the power play but kane being the professional he is he went over to domi in the box basically give him a fist bump thing thanking him for sticking up for star player on the team so i guess he's okay with it even though it would have been nice to have a hawks power play at the end of regulation yeah. Overtime was actually really hectic. First, like, three and a half minutes are played without any stoppages. And, like, I mean, my eyes were glued to the TV throughout that entire thing because it was insane. And then by the end of it, you know, no goals in the overtime. But it was a really fun overtime despite that. Yeah, the overtime was a lot of fun. Hawks had zero shots on the overtime, even though having the puck for the first two minutes and a half in the offensive zone, holding the wild to the defensive zone for that long, not getting a shot off. That's kind of, you don't deserve to win at that point, if you ask me. Yeah, I think the Hawks had like, yeah, it was like the first two minutes of that uh, overtime period. They had uninterrupted possession because they just kept on trying to find a break and they kept on not getting a break, and they tried to keep on finding that way to get through the defense. So in the end, they had no shots in the overtime, but they did play decently well. Yeah. But then we had to a shootout, and it's kind of just disappointing, and it's kind of just nothing from there. You know, Stalock is not a goalie who you think would do well in a shootout regardless. He's kind of like Robin Leonard. Back in the day. He is actually a lot like Robin Leonard, to be honest. Back in the day, which was, what, three years ago? Like Robin like, like Robin Leonard was, like, light years up ahead of Alex Saylock in terms of talent during, like, an actual, like, regulation hockey game. But when it came to his shootout, he was, like, un... He was not good. No, he was not very good at shootouts. For whatever reason. I remember he always used to say that the reason was because he didn't handle, he didn't do a good job when they got the opportunity to slow it down, and he had to, like, read their movements slowly. That was the big thing for him. And, you know, like, this was, uh, personally, 
in my opinion, indictment on Jeremy Colleton. The per the rules, you can change a goalie before the shootout. Before the shootout even starts, you can change a goalie. So I always thought they should have gone to Crawford. I absolutely thought that too. I used to actually say that same thing. Yeah, but Colleton didn't think of anything smart. <laughs> And you you know something else that was around or that I thought of in the shootout was, you know, we're going up against Flurry and we obviously do our uh, like the warm up shootout, like we do a warm up shootout during the pregame warm up. And it felt like Flurry knew like every move that we were going to do, especially for Kane and Taze. Well, I think that Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane are some of the most experienced shootout takers in NHL history. They're like towards the top of the list in terms of goals. I mean, like, Taze has the most ever, I think. And they're towards the top of the list in terms of takes. Those guys take a lot of shootouts, and they've scored a lot of shootouts. They don't have a ton of moves left in their arsenal. And Taze does the same thing most of the time. It's usually just a backhand. He usually goes five-hole almost every time. He goes five-hole on a backhand shot, usually. And, hell, I remember this was a question to Flurry last year after a shootout game, and Taze scored off the shootout, and someone asked Flurry, so uh, are we going to talk about how Taze continues to do the same thing on the shootout and no one can seem to stop him? Well, think about it. Flurry and the Hawks would do those shootout drills during warm-ups of every game, and he knows what Kane and Taze would do off those shootouts. You know what? I agree. Like It just felt like they should have done something a little bit different because he was on this team for the for like a year. If Domi didn't get a game of conduct, I would probably have thrown Domi out there for the shootout. Before Kane and Taze? Yes. It seems like it usually is a good fit to go Taze and then Kane. The problem is we didn't get a third shooter. I think at that moment, we probably yeah. would have gone with either Athanasiu or Kurashev because both of them have really good hands. They do? I would have put someone out there that just... Flory may have never faced in a shootout. And, you know, at the end of the shootout, you know, Kaprizov scores and then Frederick Gaudreau scores for them. And the Hawks never get a third shooter because they've already lost the shootout 2-0. And that's the game. Shootouts suck. They aren't real. It's not real hockey. And we still get a point. So all-star competition. Yes. I will say this also. I do have an issue with that argument because penalty shots are a thing in hockey. Like, I know they don't happen often, but they do. Those those are things that cause goals in games in certain situations. When you when 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 you when, when you have a when you have a breakaway and you when you take a penalty when someone's on a breakaway, you get a penalty shot. That is a moment where and I know that that, that moment happens, but I don't hear anyone saying that we should get rid of penalty shots because they're a, it's a skills competition. I think it's a different context though. Because you were on a breakaway, or you were going to be on a breakaway, and then you got penalized. That caused you not to shoot the puck. Okay. I think it's in a different context, because... Yeah, but with the shootout, we're talking about... It's, it's a tiebreaker situation. Do I think that we should extend overtime to 10 minutes? Yeah, I do. Do I also think that it was really important for them to move it to three-on-three so that we had less shootouts? Absolutely. But I don't think that it's right to say we should eliminate the shootout. I think we should minimize the shootout. And I think that they've done a fantastic job doing that in the NHL. I'm not necessarily one to say to get rid of the shootout. I do have my 
I do not like the shootout, but I understand why it's in. You don't want to have continuous overtimes in the regular season because that will um, ramp up injuries to a whole new level if that's the case. Because like we had like a Columbus and Tampa Tampa Bay game in uh, in the playoffs that went to like ten overtimes. But a couple of things to note about the Blackhawks so far this season: they're credited as one of the best faceoff teams in the league, at around fifty nine percent. They're actually listed at number one in the league right now. They also have one of the best power plays at this point, which is a shame that we didn't get to see it in that game against Minnesota because they didn't they didn't end up on the power play at all. The Hawks also have a pretty low down-ranked penalty kill. However, you know, after this last game, they went two for two. A little bit better, but there were some pretty rough games for them on the penalty kill, so their numbers aren't very good despite all the shorthanded goals they've scored. Another thing that I personally seem to think that is really good is that that top line appears to really be coming into their own. Top line's really working, and... Again, yeah, with all the PK issues happening, taking too many penalties is going to cost you games, and we're starting to see it right now, but we'll see what happens from there because the Hawks need to either clean up their acts or start finding a way to be more structured when it comes to their defensive game on the PK. Yeah, and then a couple more notes. Uh, next one is Hawks scoring leader so far. You know, Taze has five goals and he's leading the team. And Kane has nine points so far in nine games. He's our only player who's currently a point a game. And most players, you know, through our top three lines, all have like at least half point a game and are performing really well and producing a lot of points. And it's really good to see that depth throughout the lineup that is scoring in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I like how much uh, it seems like more of a team effort than just having one set of two guys putting up the points every night because that's what we have seen the last pretty much three years between Kane and Debrinket. Now that we seem to have lines that actually roll, it it's working out much better. It's kind of crazy, too, considering the lack of, I mean, Going into the season, everyone thought that there was just a lack of depth and lack of, lack of scoring. It's kind of crazy how all the lines are producing pretty much, except for maybe the fourth line. Um, but the top nine is really producing, which is surprising, at least to me. I don't know about you guys, but it's surprising to me. It's not super surprising. I just thought the defense was going to be a lot worse. I thought we were going to be in a lot of shootouts in terms of high-scoring games, like five to sixes. Five to four, stuff like that. I guess to me, it wasn't that I thought that the top nine was completely terrible. It was more so I was surprised that with the talent that we lost, that our top nine is still producing actually probably better than it was when we had that top tier talent. Yeah, I I think we have a better third line right now than we did when we had like that great team. We were supposed to compete for the playoffs last year. The third line, it also has better structure. The players care more and they have more heart. Yeah, the work ethic is completely, like, you can tell that the work ethic from those three guys, I mean, I know that he's not on that line anymore, but Kershev, um, Lafferty, and Dickinson, they work very they work very hard, and I think that's a big difference between this year's team and last year's team. It's funny because we were supposed to be, like, a borderline playoff team last year, and now this year, and then we sucked, and then this year we're supposed to suck, and then we're, like, we're playing decently well. Yeah, currently in a playoff spot. The Chicago Blackhawks are currently in a playoff spot. Don't count now. Not good. Very good. No, because Tyler, I know, I know we have different viewpoints on this, but if we make the playoffs or get close to it, we will be set back years, and that's just—I feel like that's 
a very uh very fair opinion. I think that if the lottery balls go far away, we will also be sent back years. But in one of those situations, we build a winning culture. Can we all appreciate the Hawks' goals differential is not a negative or a positive? We're at a zero, so we are dead even on goals differential. Yeah, that's actually really good to see. I also think that we do have um. In terms of goals per game, I think we're like goals for per game and goals against per game. I think we're towards the, like the bottom in terms of goals against, but like towards the top in terms of goals for. It's weird because it's. I think it's actually flipped with expected goals. I know people may not like expected goals or analytics, but it's kind of funny how those two are flipped. Well, I think that that I, you know what I would say is I think that that actually makes a lot of sense because you know at this moment in time the Hawks are scoring a lot of goals in ways they really shouldn't be. And they're also giving up a lot of goals in ways they really shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's odd to think because now that the Hawks are wanting to go more of an analytic-ran team, they're basically breaking their system they want to go for. Yeah, and the last thing that I would also want to note, it's kind of more of a fun thing, uh, more of a fun note about this, is um, we've talked a bit about the Hawks broadcast over the last couple of shows, and I've been really impressed with Chris Vosters of late. I know that sometimes the inflection in his voice isn't ideal for some people. The inflection in his voice isn't ideal for some people, but I tend to think that some of the some of the you know some of the little uh, one liners that he adds in there, and some of the things that he says, the way that he thinks on his feet and just comes up with something out of the blue randomly, that's just really funny. I'm really impressed with what I hear from him at times. I can't think of the one that he had during the Edmonton game off the top of my head, but I remember him having a really funny one during the Edmonton game. At least a couple. Yeah. I can't think of the one, uh, what he said, but I found it hilarious. I just don't like when he says, drops her wand on the ice. Come on, dude. Come on. It's a twig. It's a twig. It's not a wand. Nick is completely unimpressed. Uh, let's move into, before we talk about a uh, preview of what's to come the next week, let's get into the players of the week. My player of the week for the Hawks this week, I'm going with uh, number 24, Sam Lafferty. Laffy has played outstanding getting those pucks in, from those greasy areas, getting the pucks on net, and Hawks getting some points from it. So I'm going with Laffy on this week's player of the week. Wally? Uh, I'm gonna go with Arvin Soderblom. I know it's I know he only played one game, but he was fantastic in the game that he played and he kept us in that game and we were lucky to even get into overtime. So he's my player of the week. John? Okay, I'll give it to AA. He had uh, two goals and four assists for six points. He's been playing better as of late. He obviously had that amazing goal in uh against the Minnesota Wild tonight, so I'll give it to AA. Yeah. And then for me, a um, little bit generic, but I'll go with Patrick Kane. Uh, had a very good game against Edmonton, and I believe had four points over the last three games. So it's been a good performance for him. And even if you include that Panthers game as well, because it was technically part of this last week, he had a goal in that as well. So since then, he's been a very consistent performer. And he's had like two goals since then. And he had like almost five-ish points, I believe. Yeah, two goals, five total points. I think Patrick Kane, you know, he's still our best player even if he hasn't been even if he's not the best version of himself at the moment but i also think that he's been playing better defensively than he ever has in his career i think that he's really stepped it up in terms of that part of his game yeah caner's had a solid start not getting his typical patrick Kane uh three points a game it seems like but he's still been having a great uh go at it this season all right 
We're going to take a quick little break, and when we get back, we're going to preview the three games that the Hawks will be playing this week against the Islanders, Kings, and Jets. And then after that, we are going to give our predictions. We will see you in a bit. All right, we are back, and let's get into this preview for the next week to come for the Blackhawks. First game, Hawks are playing against the Islanders. Their last game was Saturday, so they're going to be coming into this game with a little bit of rest. Hawks will be playing this game at home on Tuesday night, which is the night that you guys will be hearing this show. So far this season, the the Islanders are 5-4 and four so far to start this year. And, you know, their top performers are the guys you would expect. Matt Barzell has 10 points so far, but all of them are assists. He doesn't have a goal yet to start this year. Uh, Ilya Sorokin has been fantastic to start this season. He's got a 933 save percentage. What do you guys think uh, you're expecting to come uh, with this game to come against the Islanders? This could be an interesting game just because um, Hawks power play could take advantage here, even though the PK... For the Islanders is top ranked at 96% going into it. It could be interesting just because the Islanders scoring this year is not the greatest when it comes to high end, just put the puck into the net. Granted, that's how it's been the last few years for them uh, under the Barry Trot system, but now it's under a whole new coaching regime. It's an interesting thing to see. It could be a back-and-forth type of hockey game because both teams have pretty similar records. The Hawks being 4-3-2 and two, and the uh, Islanders are 5-4. and four. It could be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be, I'm going to say a low-scoring game, but I think it's going to be pretty even, all things considered. Yeah, I think that you're, the goals you'll probably get, the goals that will probably be scored are not going to be much different from what we've seen so far. There's going to be one goal where the Islanders are going to score because Stalock is out of his net, and the Hawks are going to score off a rebound. Yep, and this Blackhawk team, with how things go, especially if Sorokin's in net, you're going to want to uh, get those pucks up front of the net and cause chaos up front of there. That's how you have to score against this goalie. Absolutely. Um, I agree with Wally. It's probably going to be low-scoring, a low-scoring affair. Um. All right, and then next we have we will play against the Kings on Thursday. Um, Kings, another playmaker team. They're five five and zero so far to start this year. They will, however, play two more games before they play us. So they will be at twelve games by the time we're only on ten games played. They're currently five five and zero, and interesting performers so far for them. Guys who've played really well, Gabriel Velarde. Really interesting to see this. Looks like he's finally coming into reaching his potential. 11 points so far in 10 games. They also have guys like uh, the newly acquired Kevin Fiala, who's got nine points in those 10 games, and Anze Kopitar, who also is playing really well. Hawks and Kings both have really good offenses, but their defenses have really struggled so far this year. It's kind of crazy how uh, Gabriel Velarde has done this year. Cause I, if I recall correctly, he was almost placed on waivers, and now he leads their team in points and goals, uh, seven goals, four assists, 11 points. Um, it's kind of crazy how well he's done this year. And as you mentioned, they haven't been great defensively. Um, but I feel like a lot of that, I feel like a lot of that has to do with their goaltending too. Um, both goaltenders are sub 900, actually sub 880 save percentages, which is pretty bad. Yeah, pretty bad. 
Um, and both goaltenders, both goaltenders have above a three point seven five goals against average as well. Oh goodness, that's Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson, right? Yep. Peterson does not live up to the contract he signed a few years ago, and Quick being Quick, how old he is, we're starting to see the aging process of Quick and falling apart. Yeah, he's starting to slow down. Yeah, Quick is no longer Quick. But I also think, I believe that the Kings are currently paying like $10 million for that duo. They are. It's not a good duo, and the Kings are kind of paying for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's going to be that next game. And then after that, the Hawks will be playing against the Winnipeg Jets in Winnipeg on Saturday night. Jets are currently 5-3-1, and one, and they will only play one more game after that, before this, which will be, they will play on Thursday night. So they'll have a lot of rest before that game, and then they will be heading into their game against us with the same amount of rest as we do. Uh, some of their top players so far, Josh Morrissey is actually the leading scorer right now with eight points, which is a little bit surprising. Uh, they don't really have many good special teams. They don't really have a ton of great offense either. Connor Hellebuck has pretty much been carrying this team for the entire season so far. He's got a 929 save percentage. Yeah, we're starting to see Vesna Hellebuck back. Oh, he's especially a kind of weak Winnipeg Jets team who really don't know what direction they want to go in. Are they wanting to rebuild? Are they wanting to try and contend for a playoff spot? This Jets team's a little interesting to see. They have some point producers, but... Both the Hawks and Jets are very even in how they play their hockey games, it feels like. But I wouldn't say they're even in the same ways, because the uh, Jets have probably one of the worst face-off percentages in the league. Meanwhile, the Hawks are the best. So that's a place where the Hawks can definitely exploit, because they could absolutely dominate this game at the face-off dot, which could be massive in terms of uh, controlling possession. This might be one of those wins where we do not expect, or we did not expect to win because of how poor the Jets are uh, on their special teams. And we're very good on our special teams. So I feel like that could be like a tipping point in this game if if they take a lot of penalties and are poor at the faceoff dot. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anyone else saw this. I believe at the end of the second, the, they played against the Vegas Golden Knights tonight. I believe at the end of the second period, they were outshot like 33 to 8. Yeah, and Connor Hellebuck made 46 saves on 48. Yeah. Shots. Did you see Jack Eichel's goal? His game winning goal? That was beautiful. FNCU's was better. Don't at me. And let's move into our weekly uh, predictions for what's going to happen. So um, I'm going to head it over right first to Wally. Wally. How many points do you think the Hawks will get? Zero to six over these next three games. I am going to say that they get three points over the next three games. Um, I feel like they're going to lose to the Islanders. I feel like they're going to lose in overtime to the Kings and then beat Winnipeg in regulation. All right. Nick? I'm going to go with four points. They beat the Kings and they beat the um, Jets but they'll beat the Kings in overtime. All right, and then you also have them losing to the Islanders, I'm guessing? Yeah. All right, John? I have them getting three points as well, losing to the New York Islanders, 
and then winning an OT versus the Kings, and then losing to an OT versus the uh, Winnipeg Jets. All right. And then I am going to say that they get two points. I just kind of think that at a certain point, this sort of weird uh, moment where the Hawks are able to get all these goals that they are getting, I have a weird feeling it's going to turn on them in a sense. I think this team is going to keep working hard, but you know they're facing Hellebuck and they're facing Sorokin. I think that there's a very high likelihood they get goalied in two games, and then against the Kings, they win like 6-2. Oh, Tyler being the pessimist? The way they're playing right now is definitely unsustainable. Not like that they're working hard. It's like the way that they're scoring all these like goals. Yeah. 100% unsustainable. Yeah, I don't think it's sustainable. I'm not cheering for it to happen, like some people are. But I do think that in the end, it might turn on them, and this might be the start of it. I'm hoping it's not the case. I'm hoping that we can continue these uh, shocking winning ways that nobody's expecting, but I think in the end, we're going to reach a point where this team stops getting the sort of luck they've been getting up to this point. And with that, that is going to be that for this fifth episode of the Hockey Podcast. Tune in tomorrow, where we will be going over the Rockford and Prospect Report. So thank you as always, for joining me, Wally. Let's go hawk. Hell yeah. Nick? Stay in your net, stay a lot. <laughs> that is impossible. And John? Chuck-a-puck is not fun. Maybe you'll understand why in the next episode. My name is Tyler. This is the Hockey Podcast, And we will see you next time. Take care. Music for this podcast was Cool Rock by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by BY forward slash 4.0.